Let's ask the Lord to be with us as we come to think about his word today. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this record of your word today that we come to think about. It's, it's a story that's found in all of the Gospels, but each of the Gospel writers adds their own take, if you like, on the things that happened. And Matthew has something to tell us today. So please grant your blessing upon the things we hear, what I've prepared, and what we listen to, and what our general communion is with you, that we would learn and grow thereby. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we come to a well-known text, a very well-known text, and as we do so we face a danger. And that danger is that we might be tempted to think that we already know what it's about and therefore there's nothing new in it for us. Well, if that's so, my prayer this morning is that we'll find something both new and helpful today. Now we're in Matthew 14, having just left, Jesus rejected because of hard hearts at Nazareth and we've seen Jesus thought to be a resurrected John the Baptist because of a guilty conscience in the royal palace. And these two events might give you a hint at the rising temperature of opposition against Jesus at this particular point in time. The Pharisees had always been his opponents from early on, but now things are warming up in other ways. And so in the wake of the opposition from the Pharisees and his hometown people at Nazareth and this act of Herod to remove John from this early life, earthly life, and to silence his preaching, Jesus withdrew from Galilee across the lake to the northeastern side, seeking a place of solitude for rest in his grief over John. And in that context, we come to a turning point which scholars call the end of his Galilean ministry, which had been on the go for two years. One commentator points out that right at this point, at this time, that there's just one year left for Jesus to live and serve. Here he is, we have a picture of him, one year away from the cross and the tomb. And so at this significant point, Jesus performs perhaps what is his most famous of all miracles, that of the feeding of the 5,000 or more in a relatively quiet, faraway place. That is, far from the eyes of the Pharisees and far from the eyes of Herod, but not far from the eyes of the disciples. Let's note these things, three things. First, let's note how Jesus demonstrated his compassion in these verses. 
Turn your eyes to verses 13 to 16 and there we see a beautiful picture of the compassion of Jesus which frames for us, for us what Christian compassion ought to look like. Now before you can appreciate the force of this passage you need to remember the context. Jesus knew that being affected by grief and desirous of solitude for prayer and to be with his heavenly father, this was the moment to withdraw from his public ministry, to get into a boat with his disciples and go away to the other side of the lake where hopefully he was unknown and out of the public eye. But when he arrived, he found instead that the crowds had already anticipated his movements that they had made their way from the towns around the shore so that when he stepped out of the boat to what he thought would be a solitude, a place of solitude, there were crowds waiting for him. Hundreds and hundreds waiting for him when he was affected by grief and he needed rest. There was never a better time in Jesus' life where he could have rightly said, look, I'm tired, go home, I need rest. See, Jesus knew that the death of John the Baptist was yet another reminder that his hour was coming and coming soon. And who knows what thoughts occupied his mind at this sad time. And Jesus knew that his disciples needed relief too, especially when it was possible that Herod's soldiers might repeat the dose on Jesus and leave his disciples bereft. So if ever there was a time when Jesus had a right and a need to close up shop to public ministry, this is it. But when Jesus steps ashore and sees the crowds, his reaction is immediate and instinctive. Notice what he does, what he does when he sees the multitudes. And Matthew tells us he feels compassion for them. Not simply a feeling that stays in his heart, but compassion that expresses itself in two actions. Compassion led him to begin to heal their sick. And then though Matthew doesn't tell us, but Mark, Luke and John do, this compassion led him to not only heal them, but to teach them. Put that together and you'll see that Jesus' response in this time of his own need is to be himself, giving himself away for the needs of others. Let's not underestimate or overlook that picture. It clearly impacted the disciples. This is the only parable in all the New Testament Gospels that's recorded in each of them. The disciples clearly thought this event was of such importance that they recorded this. They would have remembered too how busy it was for Jesus and how they added to his burden by saying at the end of the day, Lord, the hour has come for buying food and, sorry, the hour for buying food and for eating food has come and gone. And we're in a remote location. 
There isn't a town where all these people can go and buy food. And anyway, the shops are starting to close up and people are going home. It's going to be dark soon. We're in a lonely, isolated place, Jesus. The hour is late. Lord, you need to send these people home. And Jesus says no. The disciples, of course, were at a loss. But Jesus' words to them were in line with his purpose. He wanted them to have compassion on the crowds. He wanted them to learn from him. He wanted them to see that as the shepherd of the flock, this was how shepherding happens. This is how it's done. The shepherd denies himself for the sake of the flock. That's what he'd been doing. But the disciples are thinking, you need to send these people home. And we're obviously not thinking on that same level. Commentator commentator William Hendrickson says here, the needs of people sick and ignorant and disconsolate and hungry meant far more to Jesus than his own convenience and ease. We ought not miss that by doing this under such circumstances, Jesus was setting an example for the disciples and also for us. Here he modelled self-denial for the sake of ministry and compassion to people who wouldn't believe in him anyway, were hard of heart. We find in John chapter 6 a parallel account of this event, that Jesus knew that the crowds were really only interested in more miracles and soon only interested in more bread. Jesus knew this crowd was not necessarily following him for spiritual reasons, with spiritual motives, and yet his heart went out to them. He showed them compassion despite the state of their hearts. Now think of this in relation to the church and to us. It's great that we have a wonderful heritage here of love for the truth and love for the scriptures. And may God continue that we have this always under his blessing. It's great too that we have a strong interest in supporting missions. May that also continue. There's this area that we need to excel in also. We need to show the same kind of concern that we do for the truth of God's word and to the cause of missions beyond our comfort zone. It's great to minister to one another, but there's more than that, isn't there? There are all the people of this city all around us, people in desperate need without the gospel and in the most trying of circumstances. And we as the people of God, we have a mandate from the Saviour to feel compassion for them and not just feel it. Not simply to feel guilty about them and toss a little money in their direction once in a while, but to show them true compassion. When God brings the day when we have as great a love for the truth and as great a manifestation of compassion as is called for here, we may well say that we're in the midst of a revival. 
Will you pray for that with me? Is that a desire in your heart? That you would manifest a strong love for the truth that's coordinated with love for one another and compassion for those in need. Isn't that what Jesus is modelling before us? What a force that would be. What the world would be able to see as it looks at the church and sees this love extending in compassion to those in need. May God make that a reality in our lives together. Second, let's think on how Jesus instructed his disciples. As we look at verses 16 to 20, not only did Jesus set an example here, but he displayed his divine power in a quite extraordinary way as he called for the disciples to bring him some food and in that way allowed him to show them how he could provide for the multitudes. There are several lessons the disciples needed to learn in the command that he gave them. You remember in verse 16 that he said to them, after they've said to him, let's send the crowds home, that he said, no, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. There are two important lessons that Jesus is teaching his disciples in that command. You give them something to eat. The first lesson that he's teaching them is that it was their responsibility to minister. It was their responsibility. Have you noticed how often in the Gospels the disciples respond to someone coming to Jesus by saying, in effect, go away? Have you noticed that in Matthew chapter 15? We'll come to this in a couple of weeks where a Canaanite woman a Syrophoenician woman comes to the Lord Jesus for help and you know what the disciples tell her? Go away. And there's the passage where the people were bringing the children to Jesus that he might bless them and what did the disciples say? Go away. Don't bother the master with children. Go away. Leave us alone. These men are going to be the core of the missionary force that's going to take over the world and change the world. And here they are saying, don't bother the master and don't bother us. Go away. And here is Jesus saying to them, don't tell them to go away. You feed them. He is saying to his disciples, he is saying to us, I'm placing the responsibility on you to do something about the problem. It's not an option. You don't have a choice. You're mine. I've bought you with a price. You minister, you serve, you give, you show compassion. It's not your option to say, go away. But there's a second thing that follows from that. By giving them the command about the, that he wants them to minister, he wants them to know they can't do it in their own power. Look at what the, he tells them to do. He says, feed the multitudes. Well, they immediately recognise that they can't. They can see their own inability. It's obvious to them. We've only got five loaves and we've got two fish. John tells us, 
that those five loaves and two fish came from a little boy's lunchbox. No doubt his mum said, yep, take some lunch with you as you go. There are 5,000 and more out there, Lord. How in the world are we going to feed them with what we've got? The disciples, you see, need to learn their own inability to carry out Jesus' command to serve before they are able to serve. Did you hear that? They need to know that they don't have the ability to serve before they are able to serve. They can't do it. Because the ability, the power, the source, the strength is found in Jesus only. And so this command of Jesus was given to dry them to their to their knees or to their faces in dependence on Jesus because they don't have a clue how they're going to do it. And frankly, they don't have a clue how Jesus is going to do it. No matter how many miracles they'd seen him perform. So by telling the disciples to give them the crowd something to eat, Jesus is not only stressing the responsibility of compassion, but he's reminding them of the true source of the ability to minister. They will never be able to discharge the command that Christ has given them in their own strength. Only Jesus can do what he told them to do. Matthew Henry puts it this way as he refers to gospel ministry and those who serve. He says, ministers can never fill people's hearts unless Christ fills their hands. That's how all ministry happens, isn't it? When you're at the point where you feel unable, how can I help that person? you're exactly in the position that God wants you to be. Because all true Christian ministry is beyond our own personal resources. It's totally dependent on the work and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because by ourselves, we are as helpless as these disciples. So when we hear Jesus calling us to minister in compassion to others, he's not saying, I want you to figure out how to do it, but he's saying, be so reliant on me, let me overcome your weakness. You can't, but I can, and I'll do it through you. In fact, the worst service we can do for Jesus is thinking we can do it in our own strength. And we need to keep this in mind. We face incredible obstacles in our own culture in doing ministry. It looks bleak. You look around and you ask, how in the world can we give answers to the problems that we see? And here's the answer. You can't. But he can. And when we realise we can't but he can then we've got the right answer. All that is required for feeding the sheep comes from him, just as it was when he fed the crowds. Third, let's think on how Jesus showed his sufficiency. You'll see this in verses 19 to 21, where Jesus is revealed to us as the only one who is truly able to meet the deepest needs of people. 
In this passage we learn that he alone is able to supply all our needs, material and spiritual. Now you might not have thought about this aspect of this miracle before, but it's surely not just about food for the hungry, is it? It's also about lessons for the disciples. It's not just to show compassion, not just to lean heavily upon him and not themselves, but also to show them that Jesus is the source of all their needs being met and all the resources they require. He is the one who had what they needed now and he also is the one who will meet their needs that they didn't know about, that they would have in the future. He is the source. He is the answer. Now in the parallel passage here in John's Gospel at this point, in John chapter 6, this is where Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Now think about this. Didn't he feed them bread? And how was it that he was able to give out bread so abundantly? It's because he is the bread of life. He is able to feed the bodies and souls of these people because he is the source of all spiritual strength and nourishment. So that the disciples need to learn that in multiplying the bread, Jesus pointed beyond the provision of that physical bread to be the giver of life. So Jesus' point in doing this miracle is not just to feed the hungry, but to draw his disciples' eyes to the way in which he can provide physically what he is to what he can do spiritually, providing for them and for us all that we need for eternal life. As the bread was necessary to go on living, so the spiritual provision which he makes for us is necessary if we are ever going to have eternal fellowship with him. He provides. He will provide. That's just what Jesus wanted his disciples to see, that just as God through Moses provided manna to the children of Israel in the wilderness and then through Elijah, the continuous supply of flour and oil for a widow in need and then through Elisha to another widow in need who fed also a hundred men with 20 barley loaves and had some left over. So through Jesus he can fill 5,000 and more and there are still leftovers. The miracle points to the exceeding sufficiency of Jesus to meet every soul need that you have. Matthew Henry says, those whom whom Christ feeds, he fills. He didn't give them a little crumb. He didn't give them a nibble, a taste. He gave them enough to eat until they were fat. They were satisfied. They were full. And he had 12 basket leftovers, 12 baskets left over. And Matthew Henry points out, one for each apostle. They started off with five loaves and two fish, but they ended up with a basket apiece for themselves and for others. Well, what, we, what have we seen? We have seen that Jesus is more than sufficient for every need that we present to him. The only thing standing between us 
And his filling of that need is our willingness to admit that we have a need. And that's our big problem. Our problem is that we are full of pride and we don't like to admit that we are poor and in need of compassion. We don't like to admit that we are sinners who have offended God and offended one another. And yet he reaches out to you in that compassion and, can, and says, I can fill every need. What's stopping you? What's the obstacle in your heart that might restrict you from receiving the provision that Jesus says is there for you? Is it pride? Is it the fear that giving in to him will mean that you've lost control? Is that your fear? My prayer is that God would soften any hardened heart and draw us to him no matter what the cost is to be counted. And if you're a believer and you're weak and you're doubting and you don't know what you're going to do in terms of obeying his command, my prayer is that you'd see again in this account of the feeding of the 5,000 the Saviour who promises to meet your need and leave 12 baskets full of leftovers. No trouble at all for him. But he wants it to do it his way, even though he puts it in your hands and he says to you, you give them something to eat. Then, just watch him provide. Let's go to him. Let's come in prayer. We thank you, our gracious Heavenly Father, for this story today where everyone ate and was satisfied. They went away with their stomachs full. And had we been there, perhaps we too might have enjoyed that lunch, that dinner that Jesus provided just as we will enjoy what is provided for us today. But it's more than food. Your word tells us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we need more than food. We need life. We need spiritual life. So please help us to see that there is a wonderful supply in Jesus Christ. That all the other avenues that beg us and call us, call to us saying, come over here to this well and drink or eat. Nothing will satisfy. Nothing will give us eternal life except through him. And we are thankful for him who said, I am the bread of life, that if we eat of him, we will be sufficiently satisfied. Help us to put our trust in him 
And for any who are listening to this who have not yet done that, we pray that they too might do that and find their greatest need, the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of fellowship with you, our Heavenly Father, freely granted because of your supply. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.